Uh, If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Jonah chapter 1? We spoke from Jonah last week as we learned about the compassion of God. And it's just such a good book that I I just kind of wanted to stay here this week as well because it's just so good. So as you're turning there, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to, to come into your presence with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to learn about you, to experience your presence, and Lord, to look into your words so that not only do we get a better glimpse of who you are, but so that we can also get a better glimpse of who we are in relationship to you. And God, I pray that we'd be challenged by your word today, that our minds would be open, our ears would be open, and most importantly, that our hearts would be open to receive every word you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, someone say amen. Amen. Jonah chapter 1. I want to thank Brother Billy for the opportunity to come and share with you what God has put on my heart. It's an honor to be here this morning. And I want to, over the next few times that I preach, Uh, I want to look at the book of Jonah, because it is such a good story, so rich, so deep, um, and it's just so, so good. Um, But before we get into the the topic of today's, or the big idea of, of today's message, I want to talk a little bit about the book itself, because I believe that if we can get into the Word of God, it will change us. It will change who we are. We will better reflect the glory of God to others if we'll just get in this book. The problem is a lot of times is we start reading and we don't really know what we're reading. And so before we even get into this rich book, I want to talk a little bit about what we're reading so that we can engage our minds and get ready for what we are about to read. But if most of you are like me, then uh, you've probably grown up with the story of Jonah being taught to you, especially if you were raised in the church. You've heard about Jonah. You've read about Jonah. And uh, even if you haven't been in the church, you've probably still heard about Jonah. It's one of those classic Bible stories right up there along with Daniel in the lion's den and and Noah and the ark and David and Goliath and, and all these wonderful stories. The problem is, is most of the, the learning that we've had about Jonah, or at least in my experience, was in the format of a child's cartoon, right? Maybe you've watched VeggieTales or uh, maybe you've read a book. I, I found these in our nursery here, and uh, it's interesting. All of them, uh, all the books that have to do with Jonah, you see Jonah, and he's smiling and he's happy, and there's usually a, a whale in the background of the book. Here's one of him, and, and he's in the mouth of the whale, and he's praying, and this one, I find this one hilarious. This one's called Jonah and the Big Fish. And he's being spit out of the whale's mouth, and he has the biggest smile on his face, right? Like if you had just, you know, been, you know, vomited out of a whale's mouth, you'd be like, yay, you know? Uh, but I, I want to read to you real quick. Let, let's just look at this one right here, uh, because I think sometimes we can look into the Word of God and get a completely skewed perception of what God really wants us to, to hear and learn. And so here is uh, Jonah and the big fish. It says, God told a man named Jonah to go to Nineveh. He wanted Jonah to tell the people to obey his laws, but Jonah did not listen to God. Put the six puzzle pieces together to see what happened, okay? Jonah boarded a big ship and ran away. But God knew where Jonah was hiding. 
He sent a storm that almost sank the ship. Jonah told the sailors to toss him overboard and the storm would stop. The sailors tossed Jonah into the water and the seas became calm. God sent a big fish to swallow Jonah. And I like this little picture right here. Jonah is is praying and right behind him is a bunch of treasure that the whale swallowed too. So that's pretty cool. Uh, It says Jonah prayed to God and asked for help. And after three days, God told the fish to spit Jonah onto a beach. And for a second time, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and speak to the people. This time, Jonah obeyed God. Jonah told the people to follow God's laws. The people of Nineveh listened to Jonah. They believed what Jonah told them, and they began to obey God and his laws. And and somehow that's the end of the book, and that's what most of us have heard about Jonah But if you read in a a Bible with four chapters in the book of Jonah here, you see that there's still more to the story that wasn't explained in a a children's book. And and I get it. I get the idea of the book that, you know, at the end of the book of Jonah, you know, Jonah's angry. He's mad at God and and he's you know, sulking in his, in his arrogance and his pride, and, and uh, he's, uh, he's really got a really bad attitude. And so I get that, you know, you wouldn't want to include that in a children's book, but listen, that's part of the story. It's part of the story of Jonah, and I think that it would do us some good to just kind of take a step back from this book and to just take everything that we thought we knew about Jonah and his story and just set it aside for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we go through this right here today. So can we do that today? Can we do that? All right, cool. So as we get started, let me tell you a little bit about the book um, because I think we, we need a better understanding right here, right? So whenever you're reading in the Bible, you need to understand what type of literature you're reading. So the Bible is full of different types of literature. You got your historical books, uh, you've got your wisdom books like, like Psalm, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, and Psalms kind of also falls into another type, another genre of uh, literature uh, in that it is a book of lyrics. It's song lyrics in a, compiled into a book. And, and then you've got your historical books like the book of Acts and, and the uh, first five books of the Bible, the, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, and there's just different genres. Some of them are your literature reading someone's mail, like you just opened their mailbox, pulled out a letter, and you read it. A lot of the letters from Paul and, and Peter and some of these others, they wrote letters to different churches, different people. Uh, so you're reading somebody's mail. Well, Jonah is what's considered a prophetic writing. It is a prophetic book, and there's two types of prophetic books. We got our major prophets and our minor prophets. And so our major prophets are our bigger books like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah. And the only reason we call them major prophets, it's not because they were any better than the minor prophets. It's just because the text is a lot longer than the minor prophets. Well, Jonah is a prophetic book, and it falls under the category of a minor prophet because it's only four chapters long, and the chapters are really pretty short. You can read the entire book of Jonah in about five minutes. It's really easy to do. Um, So it's important to know what type of literature you're reading. We're reading a prophetic book. And we know this because Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. And this is how most of the prophetic books start out. In fact, if you'll just flip one page over in your Bible to the book of Micah, 
It says in Micah 1 verse 1, the Lord gave this message to Micah of Moresheth. And so th- that's how most of the prophetic books start. This is how we know what we're reading. The Bible tells you what you're reading. It's so cool. I like it. Maybe I'm the only nerd in the room that likes this kind of thing. I don't know. But we're reading a prophetic book. But here's where everything changes with the book of Jonah. This is such a captivating and entertaining story. Like you read the book of Jonah and you don't get bored. It is entertaining. It's fun to read. Most of the prophetic books, some of them you just got to kind of slog through, it feels like, because you're like, how does this relate to me? I don't even know what they're talking about. Who is this guy? What, what was that all about? You know, But the book of Jonah, it's totally relatable. And it's, it's such a, a good story. And in fact, the story is designed by the author to shock you. I don't know if you knew that about the Bible, but the author is, is usually pretty good at what he does because he's the best author that's ever written, right? We, we know that God has given us his word. Um, but the, the literary style here is just beautiful. It's intended to shock you, and there's different ways. Uh, the first way it shocks you is that although this is a prophetic book, it is unlike any of the other prophetic books. Because the other prophetic books of the Bible deal with what God said to his people. But this book, it starts out like any of the other prophetic books. And then by verse 3, boom, it flips the whole script on you. You're not reading about God's word to God's people. You're reading about one of God's prophets and some life events that happened to him. So there's already one shock right there. You expect to go in and, and read about the word of God. Well, the word of, I mean, look at verse 2 right here. This is God's word, God's message to Jonah. Verse 2 says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. That's it. That's the word to Jonah that we read right there. Oh, we're two verses in, and we've already got through the prophetic part of this book, and there's still four chapters to go through. It's, it's just so cool. I love the way that this book is written. It's written to shock you because you think you're going in, you're expecting going in, that you're going to read something, and then all of a sudden the author just, boom, throws you a curveball. Here's the second way he likes to shock you. Everything in this book is unexpected. Everything that happens in the book of Jonah is unexpected, completely unexpected. Uh, And and here's why I say that. Uh, It starts out in verse 1, the Lord gave this message to Jonah. Now the word Jonah means dove peaceful, innocent. It says he's the son of a man named Amittai, which means faithfulness. And I love that the author of this book, he's just like throwing you a bone. Like if this is your first time reading Jonah, you're like, you know, this is the message of the Lord to Jonah. Dove, son of Amittai, faithfulness. The, the peaceful, innocent, and faithful one. But then you read the rest of the book and you find out that ain't Jonah. He's not peaceful or faithful. He's the opposite. He's hateful and he's vengeful and and he's unfaithful. He runs from God. He's he's called the reluctant prophet. I, I would rather call him the rebellious prophet because all through the book, this man has a bad attitude. And the author, he writes this book is like, hey, this is a message of the Lord to his prophet. And you're expecting to read about a mighty man of God that delivered a powerful message of God. But we see this weak and this, this 
coward and this rebellious, hateful person. Can I be honest with you today? Is it all right to say that, is it all right to say that Jonah was a hateful person? Like, we almost don't want to say it. Like, we're, we're talking about a prophet of God. But that's what we read here in the book of Jonah. It's a story all about him, and throughout the whole story, the author's just dragging him through the mud. It's crazy. It's meant to shock you and to pull you in to the story. Jonah is the protagonist of the story, which means he's the main character, and immediately you want to be on his side, right, because he's the main character. In our American culture today, if you're watching a movie or a TV show, you automatically want to take the side of the main character in the movie, whatever, if it's an action film or if it's a romance, uh, rom-com or anything like that, like you want to be on the side of the main character, right? But in the story of Jonah, the main character, the man of God, he's the bad guy. He's the guy that's doing wrong. He's the guy that hopes 120,000 people are annihilated. That's who we're reading about right here, right? And then we see other characters in the story like the sailors, and we'll get into them in a second. But these sailors, like you think these people, they're, they're traveling from Joppa all the way to Tarshish. That's not an easy jog. And in fact, if you'll put that map up on the screen for me, please. I'll show you a little bit. Whenever God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah is in a place called uh, Gath-Hefer. That's where he lived, Gath-Hefer. And it's near Joppa, north of Joppa a little bit. And he tells him to go to Nineveh. It's about 550 miles for Jonah to travel from where he is to Nineveh. Um, We know the story. Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh, at least not at first. He goes down to Joppa to get on a ship to go all the way over to Tarshish, a.k.a. the furthest corner of the known world at the time. That is as far as you can go. It's in modern-day Spain. It's as far as you can go before you get into the Atlantic Ocean, and nothing is known beyond that large ocean for them right there. Not only does he go the opposite direction, he go, he, his desire is to get as far away from Nineveh as possible. And so these sailors that he, he buys a ticket to get on their boat to go, they're going from Joppa to Tarshish. That's 2,500 miles These aren't some new sailors. These guys have been weather-tested. They are some bad dudes. They are strong. They're ready to face any storm. They've got everything planned out. They've got a plan for every plan, and whenever that plan goes wrong, they've got a plan to cover up that plan, and they've been through weather. They've been through stormy seas. They're the kind of guys that, you know, you show up, and if you're a newbie, they they will just absolutely rag you because they've been through it all. You know, they've got all the experience, and, and you're just the new guy. And, and th- these are some, some weather-tested men. They're probably not your soft, cuddling nature, you know, the, your uh, uh, nurturing kind of guys, you know, that are just, oh, you know, come here, come here, we'll, we'll take you, come on to our boat. They, Jonah probably had to beg them to get on their boat because these guys, they are all about business. They're about to travel 2,500 miles, Right? But we see in this story, the author, he shocks us again because these weather-tested, hard-hearted sailors are quick to turn to God. 
They're the ones that are spiritually aware of what's going on, and they even show compassion to Jonah. They don't want to throw him overboard, even though he's requested, hey, throw me overboard. No, we don't want to do that. Let's try everything we can to keep from having to throw you overboard. If it's my ship and Jonah's on it, I'm probably like, dude, yep, you can go ahead. Just jump. We don't even want to touch you. Just get out of the boat. These guys, they show so much compassion. The author shocks us. And again, later on in chapter 3, we see that Jonah eventually goes to Nineveh. He gets there. He preaches a message. And the king of Assyria, the global power at that time, the most powerful man in the world who runs a country of vicious, wicked people. Let me tell you a little bit about the Assyrians real quick. Are you ready? They were violent. They had consciences that were just paper thin, no morality in them. In fact, as, as a global power, they would go from kingdom to kingdom and, and dominate their enemies. And as they would go into their enemy's territory, they would kill all the people in the army, they would rape the women, they would burn the children, and they were known for the, the men that weren't in the army, the civilian men, they were known for being a people that skinned their enemies alive. These were terrible people. They would make these big hooks and stick it in their jaws and string these men together like fish and drag them back to wherever they needed them to be forced slave labor. These people were cruel and vicious, and we see here's the leader of these people that just have no morality at all within their souls, within their bodies, none whatsoever. And Jonah comes, preaches a half-hearted message on repentance with a bad attitude, and this king immediately steps down from his throne, humbles himself, and proclaims a time, a period of time of prayer and fasting, saying, hey, no one eat or drink anything until this man's God shows us mercy. You just don't expect it, right? Like the, the author of this story, he's just taking this story, and everything that you would expect to happen is just boom, complete opposite, and it sucks you in. It's just so good because you're reading, and you're just like, man, this is good. This is a good story. And, and here's my problem with the book of Jonah. It's so good that it's too short. Like, I want to read more. And we get to the end of Jonah in Jonah chapter 4, and the story ends. God asks Jonah a question, and there's no response, no reply, no further action. We don't see whether God destroys the city or, or truly shows mercy. Jo Jonah's waiting to see whether God will destroy the city. We don't see the outcome of that. We don't know what happens afterwards. Like that, boom, it's done. End of the story. And it's done that way on purpose. The author, he pulls you into the story so that you're so engaged, and then whenever it cuts off, you're left with this dilemma, like, how do I, in my mind, reconcile the rest of the story? Like, I, how do I imagine the rest of this story to go? And not only that, but this book is big. Everything in it is huge. In fact, uh, there's a Hebrew word, gadol, which means great or huge, and the author uses it 14 times in these four chapters. Like, everything is huge in this chapter. So, you know, the city of Nineveh was huge. The ship was huge. The storm was huge. Gadol, the sailor's fear was 
huge. The fish was huge. God's power was huge. And the response of the Ninevites was huge. Everything in this story, the author is describing as being gadol, huge. And so we look at all these elements of the story, and you can't help but be drawn in just because everything is just blown out of proportion. I heard a a theologian named Tim Mackey, and he, he described it like this. He, he said, the book of Jonah is a lot like uh, Saturday Night Live. I don't know if you watch that. I don't make it a habit to, to watch Saturday Night Live. But he said, the, the literary style is a lot like our modern-day Saturday Night Live style. So what, you know, they do on that show is they'll take uh, popular figures, you know, whether celebrities or political figures, and uh, they will do satire where they, where they, you know, dress up like these uh, political leaders or celebrities, and, and they will act like them and dress like them and talk like them, but everything they do is just way overboard. Like, they just exaggerate everything, and it's meant to be funny, and what happens is, is you feel like, as you're watching Saturday Night Live, you, you feel like you're laughing at the, the person that they're making fun of, Right? But then all of a sudden, towards the end of the skit, they, they'll just like throw a hook. And it's like, oh, I haven't been laughing at this person. I've been laughing at myself. Like they made this relate to who I am and to, and to me. And that's what the book of Jonah does, is it shows us these characters. And, and you look at them, you're like, dude, they're so stupid. Like, Jonah, why would he do that? He's so dumb. And, you know, why, you know. And, and then at the end of the book, you're like, oh, hang on. That's. He's, he's talking about me. Like, this book, this is about Jonah, but this book is also about me. And so it takes you, you have to take a step back and say, wait a second. I thought I was reading about another man, but God's just really trying to show me the inward parts of my own heart. And I believe that that's what God wants to do with every story and every book in the Bible. And I want to look at this one right here with you. Here's the last thing I want to say about this story before we read. And I feel like I have to say it because there's a lot of debate within the church and has been for a long time whether or not this is a factual story or a story of allegory. In other words, did this story really happen? Are these real events that happened to a person or is this something that the author just blew out of proportion to help try to teach a moral story, right? And so there's this debate going on within the church and I'll tell you where I stand on it and why I believe that this is an actual factual event that really took place. The reason I believe that, there's, there's three reasons actually. First of all is Jonah chapter 1 verse 1, it says, this is the message of the Lord to Jonah, son of Amittai. So they say this, this book, whenever this book starts, it says this is who it's about. It's about a man named Jonah, son of Amittai. It doesn't just tell us the, the man's name, but it tells us his lineage, which gives us reason to believe this is an actual person that really lived. And in fact, if you read 2 Kings chapter 14, you get to read a little bit more about Jonah. It tells us that he was a prophet of God in the northern tribes of Israel during the reign of uh, King Jeroboam II, and he gave prophetic messages there. So we read that this is a real dude. He's a real guy. And so I believe this is a factual event because it tells us this is a real guy. In ancient Hebrew literature, if they're just telling a make-believe story, they won't tell you the name. I mean, look at Jesus. Whenever he told parables, he would say, there was a farmer who went out to plant a field, who went out to sow seeds. He doesn't say, there was a farmer named James Clayton who went out to plant a field. 
No, he just says there's a farmer, because back then it was their practice. If you're making up a story, you don't need all these little details, right? Today, our style of writing is completely different. I mean, we get all these fictional stories, and we've got these characters that we can follow back, and we watch these movies, and the characters have backstories and, and origin stories and all these kinds of things, and, and we get drawn into the character. Back then, that wasn't their style. Their style was to tell the story, not so much about the person, but about the moral event or the, the moral uh, dilemma that was taking place. Uh, another reason why I believe that this is a factual story is because Jesus directly references Jonah in Matthew chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 16. Jesus tells us that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And I love this because he says this while he's in a debate with religious leaders who just vehemently hate Jesus and they're trying everything they could to discredit and disprove Jesus. But whenever Jesus brings up the story of Jonah, they don't try to discredit the story. They don't argue its theology or its, or its historicity. They just, they accept it as being factual. And so I believe it's factual too. Here's the last reason why I believe it's factual. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. The Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And here's my position on it. I believe in a God who has all authority. And the God that created the fish and a God that created Jonah has enough power to arrange for a fish to come and swallow Jonah. And if he has enough power to tell a fish, hey, I want you to go and swallow a dude then I think he has the same power to sustain the life of Jonah inside of the fish because I believe that we serve a powerful God. I believe that this is a real story, and it's a good story. It's an entertaining and captivating story. So let's dive in. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, someone say get up, and go to the great city of Nineveh, Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down. Someone say down. It's going to be important in a moment. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help. That's plural right there. They're gods. These are paganists. They, they believe in multiple, many gods. And they threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Someone say, get up. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. And then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. That'd be scary. I mean, I don't know what it looked like, but back then, this was a common practice in, in the ancient world. 
Most of the time, people, they, they would pray to God, but instead of, you know, waiting to hear an answer, they would take dice and roll the dice, and whatever it landed on, they'd be like, hey, that just must be the will of God. <laughs> and so they're on this boat. They've been sailing. The, the storm comes, and it's just absolutely ravaging their boat. They've already abandoned all hope of making money on this trip because we see they're throwing their cargo overboard. They're just literally throwing their, their, their wealth and all their possessions over to try to save their lives. And after that, it's like, hey, I mean, you know, we, this, this isn't just a normal storm. This is a bad storm. And I love that the sailors, they had enough spiritual awareness to be able to say, this isn't natural for the elements to act in this way. Somebody has really ticked their God off. I don't know who it was. It's one of y'all. But one of you made your God really mad. So they're trying to figure out what it is. All hands on deck. They go and they have to wake Jonah up. He's asleep while all this is going on. I mean, they're up there chunking cargo overboard and rowing and, and, you know, pull up the sail. You know, everybody's screaming back and forth and waves are crashing into the boat. The boat is just getting tossed from here to there and here to there. And Jonah's just, <laughs> says he was sound asleep. He was in a deep sleep. The captain has to come down. Jonah, get up. What are you, how can you sleep at a time like this? gets on board and they're like, all right, we got to figure out whose fault this storm is. Like that's how, I mean, they knew that this storm was so bad. This wasn't just normal. Somebody caused this storm. Somebody made their God really mad. And so, and so they, I guess they, they give everyone a number, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Remember, everyone remember your number. 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, everyone remember? And then they take the dice and, and they roll the dice and they're like, oh, it's number 16. And number 16, number, Jonah? Is you? They canceled. I think that's so funny. And, and here's Jonah. He, he wins the lottery. If he makes it off the ship, he might, should go play the lottery. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and then they ask him, verse 8. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you and what is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? I think it's so funny that they're about to die. And they're like, hey, real quick before we die, let's get to know everybody real quick. All right, everybody, everybody come in. Like, you know, what, what, what kind of, what line of work are you in these days? You know, what, what are you doing? Where are you from? You know, oh, oh yeah, I've been, I've been to uh, Gath Heifer. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a nice little town. And, and you know. They're asking him all these questions, and here's Jonah's answer. This is what he says. He says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Oh, really, Jonah? Do you really? Like, I love how the author, he throws this in. He's just like throwing you a bone just because he knows you're going to read it and be like, <laughs> I can see right through that, Jonah. You're running from the Lord. Jonah's like, no, listen, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. And then I love that he says that, God, that this God made the sea and the land. Can you imagine being the captain of this ship? And you hear that some dude is running away from their God. You probably serve many gods. 
And so you, you don't know what to think of it. You know, like Jonah, he, the, I love the author, he like takes us back in time. It says they remembered Jonah had told them. So I just imagine Jonah, like he's walking down to the dock to get on the boat. And he's like, hey, I bought my ticket up there. You know, here's my ticket. Can I get on board? And there, you know, I don't know if you've ever traveled internationally and been through customs, but, you know, they always ask, is this trip for business or pleasure? I can imagine Jonah's like, not really either. I don't want to go there, but I'm not being forced to go there either. Uh, so, to tell you the truth, I'm just kind of running away from my God. And they're like, who's your God? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Hebrew. He's the God of the Hebrew people. And I can just imagine the, the person there who's looking at his tickets like, whatever, just get on board. Like, you've already paid for your ticket. Just get on board. <laughs> and now they're in this storm. And they're like, someone has really made their God mad. And, and Jonah's like, hey, it's me. You know, I, I'm the Hebrew. My, I serve the God of the Hebrews. Uh, by the way, guys, he's the one that made the ocean. Just thought you should know. Like, <laughs> and they're on the ocean about to die. I can imagine being the captain. He's like, hey, let me get this straight. Uh, you worship the God who made the sea, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And you're running away from God, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm running away from God. On the sea, you're running, the, the God that made the sea, you're running away from him on the sea, and you chose to do that in our boat? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, if I was the captain, I'd be like, dude, just get off, man. <laughs> get off. <laughs> But we see Jonah here, he's, he's, he's just giving them this, I worship the Lord. He, he's not worshiping the Lord, he's running away. That's not worship. It says, verse 10, the sailors were terrified when they heard this naturally, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, man, what should we do to you to stop this? What, what, what should we do to you? And, and Jonah says, throw me into the sea and and I think where we've got this story maybe a little bit wrong, maybe, is, is we look at Jonah as being this hero. Like he's like, you know, guys, this is all my fault after all. Uh, just go ahead and throw me into the sea. Notice Jonah doesn't offer to jump into the sea. He says, if, you, if I'm going to go, you're going to have to throw me over, guys. <laughs> like, you know. But at the same time, it, like, we, we see him as like being this hero. But at the same time, you can kind of get this idea that maybe, Joseph, maybe Jonah's not wanting to be the hero. Maybe he's still trying to get out of going to Nineveh. I mean, he's running from God at this point. I don't know why he ever thought that that would be a good idea. But he's running from God, and, and maybe he thinks for just a moment that maybe this is my way out. Maybe the world would be better off without me. Just throw me into the sea. And I, I want to take just a second this morning to say this. If, if you've ever had a suicidal thought, because we see that this isn't the only time Jonah talks about himself dying. He does it a lot in these four chapters. If you've ever had a suicidal thought, I want you to know this. Our God loves you. He is a God of compassion and a God of love. And your life to him has value. We see that Jonah, he does end up getting thrown into the sea. But what does God do? He arranges for a fish to eat him. <laughs> 
Most of us would be like, this is, this is it. This is how it all ends for me. I'm going to die in a fish. Like, <laughs> this is not good. We would see that as being a punishment from God. Listen, the fish was not a punishment from God. The fish was grace from God. He arranged for that fish to be there at just that moment so Jonah wouldn't die, so that his life would be preserved. And if you've ever struggled with a suicidal thought, I want you to know this today. Our God is a God who saves. He's a God who redeems and restores, and your life has value to our God. Jonah said, throw me in and it'll become calm again. I know that this terrible storm, is, it's all my fault. And isn't that what the, the spirit of suicide will say? Hey, man, everything's your fault. The reason everything's going wrong is, is because of you. But I like this. It says, instead of throwing him in, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. And they cried out to the Lord, we're in verse 14 of the first chapter, and this is the first time anybody prays to Jonah's God. And it's not Jonah. It's these sailors, these old weather-worn sailors. They cried out to the Lord Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. These men have better theology than Jonah ever had. And then the sailors picked Jonah up and they threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. And the sailors were awestruck. Someone say awestruck. I like that word. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I love how they use that word. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice. In other words, they worshiped him and they vowed, they promised to serve him. Verse 17, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And now we have read through chapter one of this amazing book. It's just such a good, has anyone been like, hey, this is a good story. Like, I've enjoyed reading this story this morning. But here's what I want to say to you, that the reason why I spent so much time to explain what the book of Jonah is about and how it was written by its author and, and that it's just this big, huge story and it uses huge descriptive words and, and uh, it it's, it's flips the script on you to keep you entertained and engaged. The reason why I said that is because God has a message in here for us and if we're hungry enough for it, we'll find it. And I believe every time we open the Word of God, we should do it in that way that, God, I don't just want to read words on a page, but I want to gain your heart today. I want to know you more today. And so this is what I believe that the Lord is saying, that the Holy Spirit wants us to know from reading this this morning. Number one, stop running. Stop running. We see Jonah and He's a man of God. We're rooting for him. We're cheering him on, but he's running. And, and the, the thing is, Jonah's running. Like He knows what God has told him to do, but in his eyes, there's a better option. In his eyes, there's a, a way that seems right to him. And isn't that just like us? 
I mentioned a minute ago, like whenever we read this, we're reading about Jonah, but really we're reading about us too. This is our story as well. How many of you would say, hey man, I am a Christian. I love God. I, I go to church. I attend a Bible study. I, I, lo- I put praise and worship music on during the week. You know, I try to read the Bible every day. Uh, you know, I even uh, helped a homeless guy and, and, you know, did all these things. You know, you're, you're touting all of your, uh, your, your great credentials as a Christian. But how many of you would be honest enough to say, hey man, sometimes my heart is fickle. Sometimes I run away. Because here's the thing, we may be good Christians in our own eyes, but I guarantee that each and every single one of us in here is on a ship to Tarshish in one way or another in our lives. We're running from God in in one way or another. We we may give him this little area of our lives because it's cute and comfortable, but this one over here, it kind of hurts to give that away. It hurts to lay that down. And, and I don't know, like, I, I don't know. Maybe if I held on to it, like, maybe your ship to Tarshish is your wallet. And you're like, man, I, I, I know, you know, the Bible tells me I know I'm supposed to give my tithes and offerings, but I feel like, you know, if, if maybe I just give 5%, then, you know, I can use this other money, you know, to, to do good in this area. Maybe that's your ship to Tarshish. Maybe your ship to Tarshish is a computer screen. And instead of living in a faithful marriage, you've chosen to to take temporary pleasures because you think that that might make you happy, might fulfill you in one way or another. Maybe your ship to Tarshish is your career. You know, you want to chase the American dream or at least have the opportunity to chase the American dream. I mean, who wouldn't? God has blessed us to be in this wonderful country where we can do that, right? Right? But maybe God has called you to survive off of rice in a mission field somewhere. But you think that, oh, I can just give to missions instead. You see what I'm saying? We, we love God and we want to honor him. But in all of us, there is a ship headed to Tarshish. And I want to encourage you today, and I believe this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. Stop running. Stop running. You know what he's called you to but we're still running. And listen, I, I, I truly believe the reason any of us run from what God has called us to is because in our minds we are doing what we think is right, what we think is best. At the beginning of this spring, uh, myself and, and my two boys, Jack, he's six, and Luke is two, we were out in the backyard and we're raking leaves and and cleaning up, picking up sticks, and, you know, getting the, I, I like my yard to look nice, at least as nice as it can be. I don't really have a lawn. I have weeds that are cut very nicely. And, uh, and so anyways, we're, we're in our backyard, and, and we're cleaning up, you know, raking, picking up sticks, washing some of our outdoor furniture, and, and doing these kinds of things. And, and we had been out there for several hours, and and uh, I had to tell my two-year-old son multiple times, like, you know, son, move out of the way. You're standing in an ant bed. Like, get out of the ant bed. Like, the, the sun had come up. You know, it's a brand-new spring morning. You know, the sun had come up, and it was starting to get warm. And, and all the ants, you know, fire ants, they start to come and build. And I usually try to keep my, my yard poisoned for ants because of said sun. Um, but I had to tell them multiple times that day, they're like, you know, don't walk through an ant bed. You know, they'll come out. They will bite you, Luke. And uh, so that, that conversation happened multiple times a day. Here's one thing you need to know about my son, Luke. He 
lives for, his goal in life is to get as dirty as he possibly can. He loves to be filthy. And his second goal, that's his primary goal, his secondary goal is to make everything around him as filthy and as messy as he possibly can. And so one of his favorite things right now, because we allow him to do it, is to play in the sandbox. Because in the sandbox, he can get as dirty as he wants. And uh, he, it's funny, I, I, we got our sandbox all fixed up. I got a couple of brand new bags of play sand, and uh, we put it in there, you know, and it's real soft and, and fluffy. And, and the first thing he does is just pick it up and go. And, I mean, he's got more sand in his clothes and on his body now than there is in the sandbox. Like, he has become one with the sand. And you don't have to look for him. All you got to do is just look for the trail of sand as it weaves in and out of our yard and around obstacles. Like, you can find Luke. Just follow the sand trail. And uh, he loves to get dirty. And so I've been telling him all day, you know, stay out of the ants. Don't get in the ants. And Jack and I, we're, we're underneath some of the trees picking up some limbs. And I look over at Luke just in time to see his eyes just catch on to the biggest, juiciest ant bed you have ever seen. Like, have you ever seen one of those ant beds? Like, I don't know where they get the soil to make it, but it's like, it's perfectly colored. You know, it's all the same color. It's like the cathedral of ant beds. It's just beautiful. And it just looks so fluffy. Like, you could just grab it and just, you know, the sandwiches fall between your fingers, right? You know, I don't know if you've ever seen an ant bed like that. It's, I mean, I'm 31 years old. It's kind of tempting to me. Like, I just want to go and kick it or something, you know, because it's, it's just so big and plump and fluffy. And, and I see his eyes lock on to that, that, that ant bed, and I'm, I'm several yards away from him, and I, I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, man, that's a nice pile of sand. And I, I look at him, I say, Luke, and he looks over at me. I say, don't get in that ant bed. They'll bite you. He looks back at that ant bed. He looks at me. Looks at that ant bed, and I'm just like, he's going to. He's going, I know he's going to. And he looks back at me. He takes off running. I mean, just a dead sprint straight towards this ant bed. This is, this is the early part of spring. I'm still recovering from a broken vertebrae and, you know, trying to take things slow and easy. And, and I see him running. I'm like, oh, man, here we go. So I'm like, you know, I'm like hobbling after him. And, and he's this chunky, round, two-year-old toddler. And, and whenever he runs, we call it the chicken wing. He does this with his, his arm right here. And, and uh, it, you know, it's, it's super cute. But at the time, I'm in pain. I'm like, no, stop. Don't get it. And I can just imagine from the outside, it looks like just a three-legged, overweight polar bear is like chasing this top-heavy, chubby penguin that's uncoordinated. And, and it just, I can imagine it's just a terrible-looking sight. And so I get there right before he gets to the ant bed, and I stop him, and he just busts out into tears. I mean, I had ruined the day. Every hope, every promise of happiness and fulfillment that he had for that moment vanished as soon as I grabbed onto him. Now, here's the thing. He's two years old. 
So far, we have kept him out of Aunt Bed, so he hadn't been just viciously attacked yet. So he doesn't know. And in his eyes, that Aunt Bed, once he gets there, for him, that's some of the most fluffy play sand he's ever seen. And he can just imagine himself, you know, just picking it up, just throwing it in the air and frolicking around in the spring day sun. And, and, you know, everything's beautiful and happy and birds are chirping and, you know, dogs are being petted. And it's just a beautiful sight for him in his eyes. But the truth is, I know what's better for him. And although he thinks that's what he needs in that moment, enough so that he would run from my protection, he knows that that's what he thinks that's what he needs, but I know better. He's not running for his life from some crazy dude that just doesn't want him to have fun. But he's running to a place that's going to be dangerous and painful. For him and for me, because then we'd have to put up with it for a week of whining and, and crying and all the above. Here's the point I want to make. We will do what we think is right. And in our minds, maybe we truly think it's right, even though we've been told different. Can I encourage you today? Stop running from God in whatever area of your life that that may be. We need to, as, as believers, we need to learn to say, hey, you know, that looks promising, and it looks fluffy, and it looks great, but I know the Holy Spirit told me to go over here instead. And as much as I want to follow my own dreams and my own plans and what seems right to me, I'm going to just choose to have a little bit more maturity today and say, you know what, God, I'm going to surrender my ways to you. Here's the thing. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. It seems right. And I want to encourage you today, whatever you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to do, do it. Don't run. I think we, we as Christians, we're pretty good at assuming God's will based on circumstances. Like, we, we're really good about praying, you know, God, I pray that you would show me what to do. And then all of a sudden we look like, oh, there's an open door. God opened a door for me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Look at how good our God is. And, and we, we just want to walk through that open door and, and just experience great things. But here's the thing. Not every open door was opened by the Lord. Can I say that again? Not every open door was opened by the Lord. And so we need to be spiritually aware, just like these sailors were. We need to have spiritual awareness awareness to know, hey, that looks good and it seems right, but that may not be the Holy Spirit. I might need to wait a minute longer and so that I can truly hear from him. Amen. We're also good at looking at provision. I mean, we, we can look at Jonah's story and be like, you know what? The Lord provided for that ticket to Tarshish. Praise the Lord. He provides a God. My God is my provider. Hallelujah. Hmm. You could look at that and say, this, this is God. Why else would I have the, the, the ability to buy my ticket to get on this boat, to go to this place? It just must be God. Can I tell you, we're not, can, can I be pastoral for a second? Is that all right with y'all? Is everybody good? Everybody good in here? All right, hadn't, hadn't heard anybody too much yet. So I'll do that now. Uh, 
I, I want to say it like this, because I really don't want to offend anybody, but I want to say it like this. You're not a very good planner of your own life. Can I just say that? We're, we're not good planners of our own life. Because we'll look at circumstances and, and we'll look at what we assume is provisions and we'll just assume it's God. We need to learn how to wait. We need to learn how to stop running and say, I'm going to stand right here until I hear a word from you, God. Someone say, Stop running. Here's the last thing if the worship team would come on up. Stop running. Here's point number two. Wake up. Wake up. What's the first thing that God tells Jonah in verse 2? The very first thing he says to Jonah, get up. Get up. Get up and go to Nineveh. Here's the thing to to be obedient to the Lord, you've got to get up. You've got to wake up. And I, again, let me be pastoral for just a minute. I believe that there are too many Christians that are asleep. There are too many Christians that have just decided, you know what? Our God is good. He's just going to take care of everything in the world and praise the Lord. And I'm just going to take a nap. And like, listen, I understand we need rest. I, I preached a message not very long ago called take a nap. Like we, we need rest. But listen, there's also a time to get up. And the Lord tells Jonah, he says, get up and go to the great city. But what happens? The Bible tells us here uh, throughout the book of Jonah, it says he went down to the port of Joppa. And he goes down to the docks. And he gets onto his ship and he goes down into the ship. God tells him, get up. And the only thing we see Jonah do is he's just going to go down. God says, get up. He goes down. Get up, I'm going down. Get up, I'm going down. And in the bottom of the boat, it's dark. You don't have the chaos that's going on above with the storm and the, the waves and the wind and, and people yelling and, and throwing things overboard. And under the boat, it may seem peaceful. And I think a lot of us Christians, we, we've got this mentality that as long as I go to church, as long as I just try to be halfway morally good, at least a little bit better than my friend Jonah over here, then things are going to be all right. But listen, church, we've got a job to do. We've got a job. We've got a race set before us. Paul says, run this race to win it. You're not going to win by sitting down. That's another familiar child's story, the tortoise and the hare. You, know, you don't win by sitting down and taking that. You've got to run as if you're going to win. You got to press forward. You can't keep going down. You got to get up. You got to get up. You got to wake up. And I, this, whenever the captain goes down into the ship to speak to Jonah, whenever I read it, I can just almost hear his voice. He says in verse six, he says, "How can you sleep at a time like this?" And I believe that this is the word of the Holy Spirit this morning to the church. How can you sleep at a time like this? We live in a time where there, there, there's no opportunity for sleep. There's no opportunity to be a sleepy Christian. 
I'm not saying to, to grind so hard that you lose your life and lose your mind in the process. I'm saying there's no time to be a sleepy Christian. One that's just used to the, the same old routine and follows the same ebb and flow. And Have you ever been driving in a car? You're tired. Maybe you get off work and you drive home. You get home and you open the front door and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I don't remember anything that just happened. Has that ever happened? If that's ever happened to you, just raise your hand and let me know. You're just like, man, I, I just drove 20 miles. I don't even remember. Like, you know, I, whenever I go home, there's like, three possible routes that I take, and sometimes, I, most of the time, I take the same one, but every now and then, I'll switch it up and take the highway or, you know, go in the real back roads. Here's the thing. There's been several times I've gone home and been like, man, I don't even remember leaving. Like, and it's so funny because driving is probably the most dangerous thing that you will do all day long, <laughs> Yet some of us, we just get so used to it that we just allow our minds to go in this state of sleepiness and we don't apply ourselves to it. And I believe the Holy Spirit is saying this right here. If you're a sleepy Christian, you're going to be in a dangerous spot. It's going to be a dangerous spot for you. So it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up to hear the word of the Lord. Stop running. God gave Jonah a very important commission. He said, go to Nineveh. Preach the word that I have for you. Guess what, church? We've got the same commission. Not necessarily to go to Nineveh, but we've got the same commission in Matthew chapter 28. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Can I encourage you with two things today? If you would stand to your feet as we worship this morning. I normally try to give some type of practical application, but today I'm going to throw a little curveball and I don't want to do that this morning. We're, we're, I'm going to take a cue from the book of Jonah right here where it just, it tells the story and then it cuts it off and you're left to decide with your imagination what might have happened next. And it causes you to look inward and think about yourself and to reflect on your own heart. And that's what I want to do today. I don't want to give you any specific direction of what to do with what we've heard. But instead, I want you to take this moment right now to just ask God, just say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to my heart? I'm going to stop running. I'm going to wake up my spirit. I'm going to stir myself up right now and just allow you to speak to me. And I want to encourage you, whatever he speaks to you to do, make that your goal and your priority this week to say, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to go to sleep on you. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. Here in a moment, we'll have our prayer team come up. And at that time, if you want prayer for anything that's going on in your life, we'd love to pray with you. Feel God tugging on your heart, then that's because he's a good author and he knows how to draw you in. Here's the wonderful thing about it, though. Once he gets you in, he holds you securely and he takes care of you. It's a compassionate and loving God.
So if you feel God pulling on your heart this morning, then I want to encourage you to respond to him.